0: You know by now that the dogs in my house wear Paco collars, and the newest addition is Stig's tan leather collar with brass fittings and turquoise stones. It seriously looks like the bay we bought our house on, and his smooth coat and long neck show it off perfectly. We picked it out in person at Paco's booth, and the staff helped us to be sure we got the exact fit and style that was right for him. I catch myself mesmerized by this collar when I walk him. How crazy is that? So get over to PacoCollars.com and grab a collar you'll be obsessed with. And don't forget to use the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. We've got a puppy. Puppy Elementary is my puppy training subscription service and it's all about our new puppy, Watson. It's just $45 for six months of Watson's development and education and you'll have indefinite access to the materials. So sign up anytime. Just go to www.thecognitivecanine.com and click the Puppy Elementary tab at the top of the page to register. Each week, you'll have access to multiple training videos and blogs, as well as constant access to the Puppy Elementary Facebook group, where you can talk about your progress with other students. Watson won't stay little for long, so join now. Worked up camp is over, and I'm so sad that it's over. But I'm so glad that it went so well. It was fantastic. The community was absolutely incredible. The laughs were endless. There may have been a few tears, but mostly good ones. And there was so much learning just left and right. I loved working with the participants. Some of them I had met before, some of them I hadn't. And just everybody was there, ready to be there for their dogs, ready to work hard, ready to learn. And it was an incredible experience. And because of that, I'm already trying to plan for next year's camp. So Casey Coughlin was my assistant coach at camp. She was absolutely phenomenal, hit it out of the park, did so amazing with all of the teams, and she and I did a Q&A Saturday night at camp, um, did a little wine and cheese Q&A with the group. We sat around and just talked dogs, and so we recorded that for you, and we're going to be releasing it in two parts, so this is the first part. I hope you enjoy it.
1: You All right, we need everyone to be quiet for five seconds. One. <laughs> That's not quiet. Two. <laughs> Linda.
0: Hey, friends. We're here at Worked Up Camp with the real live dog people of the internet. And I'm sitting here with Casey and a room full of campers. And we're going to do a Q&A. So Kim, I think you had the first question.
2: I'd really like to know more about release cue, Sarah. Can we talk about that
0: today? Sure, Kim, that sounds great. I think this phrase, release cue, and I think I did a whole podcast about it once. But no worries, let me reiterate everything I already said in that podcast, which is that Release cues are kind of a construct that dog trainers made up. Nobody else in animal training has a thing that they call a release cue. They have an end of session signal, which is a we're not working anymore signal. Then we also have specific cues like cues to take reinforcement, cues to move from one area to the other, things like that. So when you think about places that you use a release cue, You might use it on the start line. On the start line, you mean take the thing in front of you, take the jump, take the tunnel, whatever. You could just say that. Um, I don't use a generic release cue that applies to a jump, a toy, a cookie coming out of the crate. I choose to teach them more specific cues instead. If you put your dog in front of a jump and you put the toy next to one wing and you put a bowl of food next to the other wing and you say break what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to take the jump? Eat the food? Bite the toy? And your guess is as good as mine because it doesn't actually matter what they're quote unquote supposed to do what matters is what did you teach them to do? And if you taught them when I say break it means take a jump well my question is do you ever say jump or do you say break? a bunch of times on course and then you know I just prefer to have cues that mean eat the food take the ball take the jump instead of just generic release cues does that make sense it does can I follow up with the yep. barriers so in terms of um, house door
2: crate door car door do you use specific um, <clears throat> cues that mean you can now exit this space
0: yeah so The question is further, then do you use a specific cue for having the dog exit through a door, crate door, car door, house door, whatever? Um, And I have different ones depending on the context, but I definitely do like them to wait inside a crate, a car, especially a crate in a car. Um, But I teach that kind of like how we taught our food fluency. Lots of feeding for staying in, and then I stop feeding and I say a word that means come out of the car. Um, And in that context, I actually do just say okay for get out of the car or get out of the crate. If I have all of my dogs at a door, I like them to release out the door by name. So then that also had to be taught. So I also use their names as a move cue. All right. Casey, you have any thoughts you'd like to add on that? Not at this time? Nope. All right. All right. Graham.
1: Okay, so we're working on the lead out consent, and then we talked about doing a
0: different consent signal if you're doing a running or if you were going to
1: do a lead out.
0: Okay, now, so we're talking about lead out consent. We're talking about are, do we use a different consent signal for a running start versus a stay start? What's the rest? What, without Thing though, how would you know in the environment which one you can do? Because you don't want the dog to test and fail where they maybe would have passed if I asked him to do a running, right? So you're, okay, so you're saying how do we know it's safe to use the stay, use the lead out mm-hmm. without testing it, without actually leading out and then asking for the start button? Mm-hmm. And my answer is that you already asked if you could lead out, if you're using a true lead out start button. Does that make sense? It's just that you could have an additional one that means, can I release you?
1: So the, the follow-up to that then is, what if he will fail the the request to lead out, but he wouldn't fail the request to start running?
0: Okay, so he don't the, want to fail right. So to the start yeah. Running. So the follow-up is, what if my dog would just run with me, would pass that start button, um, but would not consent to leading out? Do you have some thoughts on that?
1: Coughlin? No, nope, this is all me. <laughs> um, I think that's a really interesting question and a really good point, and my thoughts on it are really like, what would you do in that moment if you ask him to consent to lead out? Does that fail mean that you need to leave, or does that fail right. just mean you can't lead out? Right. Uh, and then you're just going to have to. And then you don't know without testing. You're going you to test you're gonna have to You don't know without. You're going to have to observe and respond. Observe and respond. Because you're going to have to see if, you, if he fails that and you don't lead out, does your course still go right. according to plan, or does he struggle throughout, and then you know that that fail of that means no running.
0: Like, because if the dog is worried about the social pressure of the people and the dogs behind him, and that's why he's saying don't leave me, but he's fine running the course, then that's one thing. But there are plenty of dogs for whom if they can't do a stay, can also not do any other. Do the rest of the course. They can't do it without knocking bars. They can't hold a contact because they're too upset about the whole environment. So you'd have to find that out. So
1: that'd be a really good way to actually test if it's your environment or not. Yeah, it would. What's behind them. Is that really the thing that's messing them up? And that's the cool thing about layering consent into everything is you actually get to know what is the factor that is throwing the whole thing off because usually it's some specific thing and you're missing that the whole time that you don't use consent. I
0: agree totally. What a great thing to do. Hey, can we lead out? No. Alright. Hey, can we 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 run together? together? Yes. Yes. And then you go and you find out
1: was that fine or was it not fine? Instead of every situation that you tell yourself in your head when things don't go right and then you're like, well, it was that Mal that they saw before they ran and that was the problem. (gasps) You just start making stories for yourself. Case you pick
0: another breed. There are people in this room that have
1: melanols. <laughs> it was a borzoi! A borzoi <laughs> scared Everyone guys. knows
0: that breed's just terrifying. <laughs> They're all hunchy and. They are pretty alien looking.
1: Very long nose, <laughs> extremely long nose. We love borzois.
0: Let buy Casey a shirt that says, I heart my away. Uh, please. Yes.
1: So um, I have been working on the start button before we laid out on the first obstacle, but today we, uh, yesterday we added the idea of having to do a transport to get from taking the leash off to get to ask. That just felt like now I'm adding all kinds of opportunities for him to just go off and start doing equipment without me. Is there a reason that we want to have a transport? Why not just take the leash off
0: right at the thing and ask for your consent there? Sure. So question has to do with why I like ditching the leash at the gate. There are a lot of reasons for that. We kind of introduced it yesterday. And it feels like if we take the leash off at the gate, we're just giving the dog a whole bunch of opportunities to screw around, <laughs> not be here and not be present. And is that a problem? And for me, it's just that just furthers the point. If they can't it's one of my rules and it doesn't have to be one of yours. For me, if the dog cannot walk with me from the gate to the lineup spot, then I don't want to be in there with that dog. I see too many dogs being literally led by the leash to the lineup spot. And sat with
1: the the leash.
0: (laughs) I know and sometimes physically sat but sometimes just the people don't even know they're doing it they're literally swinging the dog in they're looking at their course they're looking at the judge and they're like not paying attention to the dog at all until they can take the leash off and a lot of it probably does have to do with the fact that I like to take leashes from people just chronically like I like you to not have it anymore because it improves your communication immediately when you no longer have that so if today you walked into a ring and took your leash off and your dog would go and take half the course without you, then no, it's not a smart move today. But it might be something that you aspire to. Do you take your leash off when you walk in, Casey,
1: or on the line? Um, Closer I, to the line, right? Where I walk in, I do a start button on a leash, and I take leash off, and then I walk to wherever I'm setting him. But that might be three feet or that might be twenty feet depending on the setup. Where you're trialing. But I don't rock him on leash all the way there. If I do, it's because I'm like, oh God, what's happening? Nervous. Right. Just forgetting to do things. Right. Also not helpful. Also not helpful.
0: Yep. Back. Hey, um from what we were doing yesterday, it seemed kind of similar question is. Um you ask for consent, you your dog gives it to you. Next you want to weed out so you ask them to sit and they don't. Do you go straight to arousal suiting? Do you like I, like, I don't have a problem with a puppy but with the mama, I have like there's this huge like nobody's home. But she does her consent awesome and then as soon as I ask for a sit or a down, because I'll use either, I get nothing. Okay, so let me repeat the question to see if I understand it. Um, It's basically you're getting your start button behavior, but then your other behaviors are are still not there post-start button, and what should we do? So what I would examine is probably what's more going on there is that the start button behavior has a stronger reinforcement history than those other behaviors. And you're specifically saying like sit and down and those kinds of stationary, maybe boring behaviors fall apart. So, and you're talking about your Mal, who's pretty much worked up poster child. And I think probably what's going on is the Mal's like, if I give this start button, you should start fun items. This should not be boring items. (laughs) And so then you, the dog does the start button, and then you say, and now also sitting down, and the dog is like, are you kidding me? Right? So what do you do in the moment? In the moment, you could soothe and ask again, but you're still going to have the problem unless you do build a reinforcement history for stillness stillness and things like that. But I would also ask, why are you asking for a start button and then asking for a sit or a down? Is that because we're trying to do lead out consent? I mean, that's just the order that I
1: did it. Or, I took Okay. Like, I honestly didn't, yeah, I never even thought about the sit
0: or the down being also a consent. Okay. So then what I also would want to piece out is make sure that um, the start button predicts work and not more behaviors being asked for. So it should be perimeter sweep, reinforcer test, can you eat? Marker test, which can then be elevated to marker discrimination once we have that. And then you can do your Q test, your sit or your down. And then you start button, and then you start agility. So I can ask for a sit, then ask for my sustained nose touch. Yes. Yes, you could. See how that goes for you. Okay. Yes. So
2: mine is potentially multi-layered, so you can always just That's fine. reel me in. We're fine with that. Okay, so you've seen Soul and I, and I have a. We have an issue. We've had it since he was eight weeks old. Um, he doesn't like to stop doing things. Obviously, mm-hmm. that he likes that he finds rewarding. So from day one he's been like yeah I'm not even when he would play he'd be like i'm not leaving where i'm going to transition to another thing even when the other thing would be fun he's like nope i'm invested in this not doing this so what that what that means in our life right now is that getting a hold of him even in the house is almost impossible like he if he thinks you're going to want him to do something different than he's doing, like go outside. He's like overstanding, looking suspicious at you from the doorway.
0: Okay. And so, what I'm hearing is that the dog can't transition yeah. from this to that. Yeah. And it's a problem at home, too.
2: It's worse at home.
0: And. Well, you're probably less interesting and fun at home.
2: And I think, we have a ne- I think we've made a lot of errors along the way, so sure. there's a, re- a ne- sort of negative Big reinforcement. Big reinforcement
0: history for avoiding you Yeah, exactly, at home. exactly. So interestingly, he's not the only Border Collie I know that's like that. Shocking.
2: It's crazy.
0: Not the only dog, but Border Collies in particular. Let's think about um, control as a primary reinforcer, because it is for all of us.
1: So control
0: over our own environment and our own situations is a primary reinforcer. Then, so let's take an animal for whom that is true, a dog. Then, let's spend a lot of years selectively breeding them to control large groups of stock. And now... Watch the behavior problems unfold in the household because this control as primary reinforcer is a huge problem for a creature who actually in the grand scheme has very little control over their own life. So the answer isn't give him less control. The answer is give him more of it. And more ways to control his own outcomes. So, meaning, teach him to ask to be let out by ringing a bell. Teach him to ask to come back in by ringing a bell. Teach him always when you go to play with him, offer him two toys and let him choose one. Um, So, all of those things. And then know that, yes, this is what you're fighting against, and however, Um, the laws of learning still apply, and reinforcement history is why this is here, and you need to tip the scales in your favor because they're tipped out of your favor right now for reinforcement history. People never think that building the reinforcement history for the appropriate behaviors is going to work, and it always does. And the reason you don't think it's gonna work is because you're not splitting finely enough in your daily life. People are not very good at this, myself included. Because we go, okay, the dog is throwing itself at the door, and I need it to not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a pretty big gap in there between the behavior that you've got and the behavior that you want, and you need to find the splits in between and reinforce the splits in between in order for you to actually get where you want to go. Um... So actually, you know, training, and what we do is we just, we train them to avoid us, because the only, it's punishing for us to go try to corral them, so we only go try to corral them when we absolutely have to, and we absolutely have to when we put them away, so that we can go be a person in our lives, right? So it's, the bottom line is building up reinforcement history for the desired behaviors, and I would use a lot of stationing, and just very Cleanly trained behaviors. I have clients whose border collies literally live like zoo animals in their homes, transitioning from this space to the next space, getting the meals here, like lots of enrichment, lot, so that they don't kill anyone. Don't get a border collie, is the other <laughs> answer.
2: So, so, related to that, is that he, so you've seen like staring is super
0: I think yummy. staring is so addicting for border collies yeah. because it's related to that right. to the whole thing yeah. it's the, the whole thing outcome. outcome comes from
2: that right so then um, we were talking Terry and I were talking about this so if solstice is staring which he will do at dogs moving Do I interrupt that? Do I wait for him to stop staring? And when he checks in with me, I reward, which is what I've been doing for a while. But I also know for other dogs, him him staring or any dog staring at them is very um,
0: problematic. Of course it is, because Border Collie's the weirdest dogs on earth, (laughs) and then all these normal dogs are like, stop looking at me." me. If so, you were like in Denny's trying to eat breakfast and some guy was like
2: just staring at you. staring or woman
0: yeah. it's more problematic when it's a man we all know this right. This is on the podcast here we go But really so but we're still back to reinforcement we're still back to the fact that right. if you if the behavior itself occurs Now you're just in damage control. So you need to understand what the antecedents are, what were the precursors to this behavior, and what can you do to stop it from happening before it begins? Where, Where can you find the reinforceable place and start there? And staring is a thing. And I got a little guy who he'd really like to stare at stuff, but it's just been from day one engaging him in other tasks that are just as reinforcing for him. Do you want to talk, or you just do. saying let's move on?
1: No, go ahead. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> um, I think for your guy, and for anyone that doesn't want to eat food, make sure, especially in the house, that you're actually making food so easy to eat that it's like he can't not eat it. Meaning, like, throw the food at him. Like don't make it that you have to come yeah, in here and get because that's the a split too. Hand. Eating food right? from
0: my hand sometimes really hard. Eating yeah. food off the ground usually not hard. I do a
2: lot of tossing food at him when he gets in that suspicious mode. Well, now you just I know that could be a problem so too.
1: So it would just be like <laughs> name. He flicks an ear. I throw food. Okay. Name. He looks at me. I throw food. Also, just
0: throw food all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because if they're eating, they're not doing stupid things that you don't like. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? Like, if they're eating, they're not doing stupid things you don't like. Do you know how much food throwing I do?
1: I make sure he's doing lots of enrichment so that he does have control over how he's feeding himself. Okay. That's an easy way to just say, hey, you figure out how to get this out of the box any way you damn well please. Can
2: you can you say that? Like, I would really like to hear
1: say that again like, give them more
0: control not less like, yeah.
1: maybe, like, give them so more control not less That is so
0: because like, that's what they're after all the time
1: and okay. it's okay and us too
0: also and that's okay, what we're after all the time over it so good what and it's if you look at human mental health practices like comment like how do you get out of trauma how do you recover from trauma you empower the victim How do you escape anxiety? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Anxiety is about stress about outcomes. Anxiety is fear of outcomes that you have no control over. It's pulling over and changing a tire every five seconds because one of them could pop. (laughs) It's worthless, but the more out of control you feel, the more out of control the anxiety is. So it's the same with these dogs that have all of these huge feelings. And I think for too long in our community, we've been taught more
1: control yeah. is better. Yeah. Right. We just take but yeah freedoms away until they earn the freedoms. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Yeah, they'll, they'll do that,
2: yeah. I totally get it. And, and he is, I think he's actually a very anxious dog. And he's anxious, you know, and I think that, so this will be interesting to explore to think about how to give him... More
0: control I mean. give him more control over things he can have control over and then just make sure that when he's make sure that we all always remember that reinforcement is what drives behavior yeah not weird instinctual crap not yeah. you know mind games and garbage like that not that anybody's saying that that's what's going on but it's reinforcement drives behavior so you need to build the reinforcement for the stuff that you want to see. Lori.
2: have oh, a question. Okay. So, I want to build a reinforcement history. How do I find something that is more reinforcing than the behavior that... No, because like, hey, this is what I struggle with. At, tweak likes to be outside. And so, what I've been doing is I... I ask her, like, I, I give her control. I ask her, do you want to come in? She says no. I said, okay, fine, stay outside. Um, and I do reinforce every time she comes in. I reinforce it. I reinforce it with food. I reinforce it with play. I don't think those things are as reinforcing as being outside.
0: Very possible. She'd
2: prefer
0: Okay, so it's kind of, you know, and I don't know what if thing. you're never going to beat the thing? Mm-hmm. Very often, you can't beat the thing with the, your reinforcers, but you can it with a history of. Mm-hmm. So if she were mine, I would probably teach her, um, you know, if this bothered me, mm-hmm. right? Like if I, my husband more than you. yeah, I couldn't see it actually bothering you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is
0: not husband camp.
1: Next <laughs> year.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sure people would pay me for that. <laughs> You too. <laughs> <laughs> <Let's do it. laughs> All right. So
2: well,
0: right what, you, what you could do, though, is ask her to come in and then release her back out. Like, right. what you could do is instead of trying to pay her for coming in with classic reinforcers, food or toys, send her back out. Oh. Uh, okay. I might do that. Because
2: okay. when she chooses to come in is usually when
0: it's dark. That's and when she twice. actually wants to come in, she and you're just... So the same story. problem still stands because she was like it is no longer reinforcing to be outside mm-hmm. so I'm coming in so if it bothers oh, yeah. you I would insist that she come in and then release her back out multiple times a day so are you insisting that she come in are you keeping her on a long line? no I yes. would call her <laughs> <laughs> so the question was are we keeping her on a long line I, you could I wouldn't I would just go and she'd be like I don't want to and I'd be like are you sure I mean, I do a whole yeah, lot yeah. of like <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to explain. I never chase them, yeah. but I can certainly walk towards them for a long time.
2: Walk them for a long time rapidly,
0: No,
1: not no, rapidly, because no. that's too fun. That's <laughs> way fun. Yes.
2: So you're talking about behaviors that are way more
0: The good news is car chasing usually doesn't get like this, the super hot reinforcer of biting the actual vehicle because they die. (laughs) When I've had a few clients who had like country roads and people slowed down enough that the dogs just like bit tires (laughs) repeatedly. It's extremely difficult to break once they actually do get a bite in kind of like if they chase down a prey animal and they actually get to kill it. Still, reinforcement history. The reason my dogs have a nice recall is because of the 20 million cookies they've gotten, not because my any one cookie is better than a, a moose, a deer, whatever. Um, this is good. Um... Also behaviors themselves, this is kind of, we're getting into what does drive behavior, what doesn't. Um, Behaviors themselves technically are not the reinforcer. The dog is still getting something out of it from the environment. So car chasing, I would say if it's a huge, huge problem, it's because the car goes away every time so it's still not about the fact that it's inherently nice it's about the Mm -hmm. fact that the environment's still making it work for the dog and again it's reinforcement history can beat anything as long as it's strong enough and accept that there will be mistakes along the way and enroll in casey's course real life reactivity
1: yeah plug
0: you don't really talk about cars but everything you do could be applied yes you have worked through you had that little shiba car chaser that was just Mm. she was yeah that was good does that answer the question are we still confused it's just it's a simple but not easy answer it's the fact is that you've got to build a reinforcement history that can outweigh the reinforcement history that pre that exists for the current behavior and sometimes that's a years-long project. Um, and preventing the behavior from happening in the first place is part of that years-long project, right? Um, which is why people, when there's a safety issue involved, that's why people jump to high-power versus people who wouldn't normally. I'm not saying that that's my choice, because I, I can't today think of a situation in which it would be. Um... I thought about the last time I thought about it was when I watched Leslie's horse run across the pasture with ghost attached to her tail
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, (laughs) and I mean that mare
0: turned around. The only reason Ghost is alive is because she's a tiny, nimble, little ninja. Like a normal dog would have been killed by that horse. Oh yeah. That's the last time I thought about it. Um, that was a few years ago. I'm doing all right. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> um, we just moved the horse. But I didn't do it. I just found a new pasture for the horse to live in. <laughs> so it's that's always the answer. The answer is always make sure the reinforcement history for what you want to be seeing is outweighing the reinforcement history for the older behaviors. And if the behavior itself produces a lot of reinforcement, because inherently it will, like car chasing, car barking, you've got to prevent it. And I would personally do setups where, and I've done this with car chasers, where you start driving and we're feeding and the dog's doing good stuff, good work, and you start driving and the dog starts to chase the car and the car stops right in front of the dog, just stops. Dog goes back to being good, we go back to feeding, and the car starts driving again. So that they learn that it will no longer be rapidly retreating if you bark at it. Isn't
1: that interesting?
0: Oh. <laughs> no, I don't think, I mean, no, that isn't me. <laughs> is it a negative reinforcement <laughs> procedure? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You didn't cover it. Sure. Of course. Throw yourself on the car. <laughs> Cover the car with your hands. If you cover the car
0: with your hands, it's your choice. It's Now, the real question from Rebecca is basically, but wait a minute. Um, And the fact of the matter is that all quadrants are working all the time. You're never only a positive reinforcement trainer. If I make a trigger, no longer leave. Like if I say your problem behavior is no longer going to work for you. I am now pushing the dog into extinction. I am now crossing some lines that some trainers would think I'm horrible for. That's how, but that's, I, to me, that doesn't fall outside of the realm of my ethics, especially when we're talking about something that's going to get a dog killed. Mm-hmm. Eating food out of turn doesn't get them killed. You know, I mean, oh my God, now we're going to talk about all the people that have been upset I about you so bad. throwing food. Go ahead. Pause? You're going to have to cut this, oh, Steven. I hope you enjoyed that little glimpse of what Worked Up Camp was all about. I know I did. So make sure you check out part two next week. Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the CogDog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.